coming up in this episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast, we preview the teams in Group B from this year's Halle SM. That's Vimpoli, Koskankorva, and Senioki. Plus, all the latest news. That's all coming up on this episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. I'm your host, Ian Alba, and joining me is our resident coach, it's Mikko Pirhonen. Mikko, how are you doing? Doing doing great. Uh, you can sense that the season is getting at least a little bit closer. And uh, even though the spring is like... Uh, <laughs> enormously de- delayed in terms of weather in in Finland so basically nobody can uh, practice uh, outdoors at this moment well some teams can but anyway uh, but when you when you talk to people around the leagues and you talk to people around the game you get the sensation that we are approaching approaching the season and uh yeah there are some some familiar signs and uh i'm happy to hear that from the voices of the people well it's it's going to be a, a very exciting season see the the 100 year anniversary um we don't have ron with us um today um but we'll we'll dive first of all straight into some of the news stories like you say it's there are some little things bubbling beneath the surface, but there's not really much news about at the moment. Um, sort of the calm before the storm. Uh, but one of the things that I uh, noticed was um, Sotgamo, who are famous, of course, for, for their orange and purple, are looking to become more associated with being green. Uh, in that they're actually looking to move to being uh, carbon neutral um, during the season. Um, I thought that was quite an interesting um, article. I mean, I know we've seen a couple of other teams the last couple of years um, looking at uh, big ways of reducing their carbon footprint. Um, I think Kite did uh, something uh, the other year as well. Um, But this is a bold statement um, from the club, but what do you make of it, Miko? I think it's uh, one of the ways that Sotkamo can be a front runner in certain aspects, and uh, I think that this is in line with their previous, uh, with their previous approach to, to things in general, because we are used to like over the past couple of decades at least we we have gotten used to seeing Sotkamon Yimu being a kind of a pioneer when it comes to certain things like uh building a community and uh also uh doing things for the community and taking a role in that community and that is what it's all about and and this is also like uh this is not just a pr stunt it's like uh it is something that they have had there's, there's a lot of companies involved that have also like they're doing they they are providing something to the companies that work in or have close relations with Sotkamon Yumu. And of course, this is uh, 
this gets nothing but support from me because it's the right kind of move in every aspect. And, and also um, the, the interview that they gave or the statement that they made on, and the press, re press release that they gave, it stressed uh, the importance of the community like and this is also something that i i immediately for example remembered that when they won the championship in 2020 uh, they immediately said after the deciding final game that they want to be a responsible member of the community and thus they will not have the championship celebration at the local like uh, restaurant because the COVID situation was then in like we didn't have any vaccines or anything so it's like uh, these kind of things are in line and uh, they are just uh, by making this move for me they are making their stance stronger in, in, in that sense, because uh, Sotkama has taken its place as, as a club that uh, raises young players, has uh, their core values are something that the, the companies want to be associated with. And Sotkaman Yumu is an important thing in the community and the area. So this is, uh, when I saw it, I was uh, all for it. Well, I, I would echo that. I mean, my impression of Sotkaman over the years um, is a team that looks quite far into the future in comparison to perhaps some other teams and it really looks to be sustainable for the future trying to build on things and and also look in new directions and and um do new things um but like you say it's it it's great to see them making this effort trying to be a front runner um as as they often seem to be with a lot of things um Hopefully, we'll see um, other teams following suit as well. One of the things I was looking at, because the way that they're looking at doing it is about offsetting the footprint from, for example, the emissions of travelling to and from different games and any emissions that would be generated by their home events as well. Um but it got me thinking because when I look at the the schedule um, for Super Pesis, you often find home game followed by away game followed by home game followed by away game and and so on. Whereas, I mean, America is not a great <laughs> example for a lot of things because you know that they have to take flights from most places to places, but they play usually several series of home games in a row to reduce the traveling and then might tour a certain area. Now, I, I, I do know that teams will effectively tour a certain area if it's um, at the far end of, of Finland from, from where they're from, for example. But do you think that one of the things that the league could do is look at scheduling games in a bit more of an eco-friendly way. I think that's somewhere in in a even more distant future, uh, to be honest, because uh, I think that the conversation about the schedule will be uh, once again it will be like mostly handled inside the teams and the organizations and uh, 
I don't see that happening, to be honest. I, I mean, I, I, I would be all for that idea, but, uh, but now it seems like, uh, like it's, it's not even on the, <laughs> on the horizon, to be honest, it's, uh, uh, and that being said, it need. Uh, I just told today uh, one one person who is like related to the sport, but not necessarily to a team. That I I think it would be a good like a, a brain exercise to to just open up the schedule and open up any team's schedule. For the regular season and then trying to figure out that when would you actually recover when would you actually have time to practice and and bear in mind that uh, let's say that a half of these guys or women especially they they go to work during the summer but now that like the situation is that when when you take a look at the schedule you're like damn is it like is it actually like this so it's like <laughs> this guy uh, the in the in the mlb it's like you can you have a rotation of uh like uh, basically limitless amount of <laughs> players if you want to but uh but these these players are not paid that handsomely so uh so. maybe maybe it's just me thinking um about my spreadsheets and and how I how I would want to try and organize things um I I know my dad um organizes a lot of league fixtures for cricket um up in Cheshire um amateur um league and um obviously there's a lot of well these people are working and these people are on holiday during that week and this and the other or uh, they have a uh, um events going on at the grounds and so on and so forth and it it causes him nightmares and he has to keep tearing the damn thing up um and starting again um i can only imagine how challenging it must be um, for, for dealing with it on a super basis level, especially when you've got teams, men's and women's teams, that you have to factor in, possibly in different divisions as well. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely yes. But but also, I, I think it's important to to like bear in mind that uh, when we would be looking at having those like. Uh, uh, let's say double fixtures like away games for example that like you said in some occasions teams are doing already but uh but one of the more more curious things that you may know about but i don't know that a lot of people actually realize that one of the stumbling blocks in that is that when we are talking about like the the best possible uh dates for doing that to have the like two games in a row in an uh, like a semi-pro uh sport you would think that it would be over the weekend. So it would be like Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, or something like that. We, how they usually are if there there is a double fixture. But it's one year after another, the same pattern seems to be going that, that Whereas in, for example, in ice hockey, which still is like the biggest one here, uh, uh, the sales and the, like the attendance 
they go from Monday to Saturday. It's like the amount of spectators rises rises every day until you reach Saturday, which is when you like make your money. And then Sunday is some Sunday is a day when they don't play basically at all because for some reason they don't get spectators then. So they just have some family games also. But uh, in Pesapalo, Saturday is like a non non-starter. It's like you you can if you're comparing it to Sunday, you get maybe half of the attendance on Saturday. And that applies certainly to bigger cities because people have like summer summer homes or cabins or something like that. And uh, they they when they're finished their work on Friday, they go there or on Saturday morning or something like that. So the attendance, uh, every team has tried the Saturday and nobody has succeeded thus far. So that's that's one interesting small detail. Mm. I was going to say, don't talk to me about ice hockey. I'm uh, still <laughs> gutted about Jonsson Kierkopoja uh, yeah, getting oh, knocked yeah, out yeah, in the postseason yeah, yeah. so terribly. Uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we, we talked about a couple of um, stories in, in the last podcast um, that seem to have had things happening either in the news in Finland or even abroad recently. Um, for example, we, we talked about the um, harassment scandal that's been going on. Now we've actually seen that individual um, completely leave the club. Um we talked a little bit about how uh, Kiritaret uh, was struggling uh, in the um, the Harley SM games. They seemed to be a little preoccupied with what was going on. Do you think that that disconnect now with this person is going to help put it in the past and, and allow Kiritaret to, to move forward a little bit? Well, that was like uh, the... I don't know how to put it nicely, to be, to be honest. Uh, but if I try, it's like uh, the most obvious way to put it is that it just had to be done. And uh, it just had to happen, let's just put it that way. And officially, uh, the person resigned, but it's like we know it's always like that in any walk of life everybody just resigns nobody gets fired or anything like that but but anyway uh, they know also well that uh, one of the most important aspects in any team sport in any uh, any successful team that wants to achieve something is to create a an atmosphere where there's like where it's calm and uh, where everybody can feel like safe without uh, uh, like uh, turbulence and all kinds of hassle around the around the team. I I I mean, like I said earlier earlier that uh, the the players they they have of course they have understood the situation all the time but they have also been affected by it because we all know that uh, we we all get like we we get the rational part but we also react to those things and so now it's uh, i think that everybody in the game wants that chapter to be over now it doesn't need to it doesn't have to mean that this person would not have a future in the sport at some some point but now it's time for the dust to settle and uh, get the games going 
Yeah. And when you when you talk about a future for this person in the sport, of course, the um, Pespolo Federation's um, investigation is still ongoing at the moment. So um, that future will largely rest on, on what uh, what those decisions are. Um, so for this individual, of course, the matter still will be ongoing in the background, but uh, hopefully for the sport generally, um, but in particular for Kiritaret, it's it's put to rest now. One of the other things that we, we mentioned in the last podcast as well, um, coming off the back of that topic, um, was a point that, that Ron made about... Um, women game managers um well i don't know if somebody in the u.s is listening to our podcast and and picking up on the idea um but we actually saw history made uh in baseball in america um and i was delighted to see it because we've actually seen the the first female game manager um for a minor league side affiliated with the yankees um rachel bolkovich um was um, phenomenal as, as a game manager and, and helped the team win their first game. It's something that's been waiting in the wings uh, for quite some time. Um, when you look at her her history, you can see that she's been working with a number of clubs for, for a good number of years, um, including, of course, my beloved Cardinals, I can see um, in, in the list there. Um, Mika, were you pleased to see this news? I know it's it's obviously baseball rather than Pesapolo, but um, was was this something that caught your eye as well? It did, it did, and uh, I'm just delighted to see any glass ceiling being broken, like in in sports also. So it's uh, well, when I saw this, and uh, I actually saw a headline of it earlier, and then then read the the article uh when you send me the link and uh then just uh grabbed another article about that and and just uh dug a little bit deeper into like what what her background is and how it's gonna be like to just try to create an image in inside my head that how how it's is it a one-off or is there like a possibility that it could be, there could be something brewing that uh, she would not also be the last. But um, but in terms of Pesapallo, uh, it should be a lot easier because we, we, we have a ton of talent and we have a ton of people who have more than enough, like enormous amount of like knowledge of how to play the game and uh, for for both men and women but especially when we're looking at the like how popular the the women's super purposes is and how much uh, knowledge we have it's uh, it's a bit it's a bit frustrating for me uh, that it hasn't been happening but uh, but also it needs to be said that the that the people who do have that knowledge they have not been that willing to step up in like they have been or i think even a better way to phrase it would be to say that they have been willing to invest to something else in their lives like for them for example their career which is a given but uh but still it's uh, it's something that uh, i i think uh i think the run was really spot on that this needs to this needs needs to be addressed like and uh and I know that it is a talking point inside all the like uh 
for example, the coaching clinics and uh, the way that the people inside the federation think about the game. Uh, okay, you cannot force anybody to be a game manager, but I think that in the future, we, we need to have a clear path uh, for anybody who wants to be, who wants to try that and like grow into that role. And that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does seem quite odd when, when you look at, I mean, we, we were talking with Ron last time that in America, there really isn't the opportunity for um, female baseball players or even softball players to play at a high level to then um, consider a career effectively um, as a game manager or as somebody um, coaching at a high level in the men's game. But in Persepolo, we've had um, the Women's Championship since 1931. So we've got a very long history and tradition here um, of women playing the game at, at a high level. And, and as Ron said last time, you know, this, this is unparalleled, really, for, for almost any other sport. And certainly this length of time as well. I mean, I, I do make a lot of comparisons with, with cricket, um, but when you look at women's cricket, it, it's not been considered at that high level for as long as Pasapolo has. Um, the talents there, the opportunities may not be there, and certainly maybe there's a, there's a kind of culture of, of not either wanting to take up those roles or, or not thinking or not being able to, to take those up. So um, I agree. I, I really hope that that changes. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. The season is not too far into the future now. Um, and we're actually seeing the return of the season opening tradition it has um, become of um, playing games outside of Finland, and in particular in Spain. Um, Fuengirola in south of Spain. So my understanding is this tradition started um, from 2017. Um, it was an idea that somebody had to start the celebrations for the 100-year anniversary um, by playing outside of Finland. And the, the very first games were actually in in Sweden the, the day before um, playing in Spain. But we obviously had uh, a couple of years during COVID where these games haven't happened. But seeing that it's back on the calendar and seeing um, people on social media getting very excited uh, about this prospect... Uh, how important uh, is is this kind of tradition becoming? I think it still remains to be seen because it's still... Well, first of all, I'm glad that it started in the first place initially because uh, that's that's the area where most of the superposis teams have gone to have their like uh well at least the, at least one week of uh training in good conditions when before getting uh getting outdoors here in finland and so on so they have been able to like uh uh use it also as uh it, it has like a double role that is also good it recharges your batteries uh in in every sense and you don't get too much warm 
uh, like uh, rays of sun yeah, or if you do the, the it may not mean that it's still warm so so it's good and uh, and also Costa del Sol has uh, just like it has a strong British community it also has a strong Finnish community and uh, it's easy to promote things uh, through that uh, community and uh, and some teams have been really like uh, like forward thinking once again with this IPV uh, for for example have been one of the front runners in this and they have been able to find a if, for example an even more suitable uh, stadium for the event and uh and they are playing there now again so uh so yeah uh, i think it has its place in the calendar definitely that's that is and and it's not just uh okay it's they are they are playing for points there so it's an actual regular season game it's also uh but it's also part of like uh exporting the game or taking it to new areas and uh these these other uh these other games that have been played abroad have also been like interesting in many aspects because one thing that you need to take into consideration is that uh what it means to the sponsors and the companies that you are actually related with that now you can now you can broaden your stance like you don't just have to think about Finland that you can you can say that we do have this event in Fongirola or we have this event in Stockholm or or so on and I know for a fact that it has helped in some for example in some negotiations to to bring some uh like uh new opportunities for teams and so on so it's uh i haven't been there myself but uh i i know i know the people i know people who have been i i have been to the stadium and i know the people who arranged this whole thing so it's uh something that i'm happy to see happening again well, it, it reminds me um, very much of of something that um, I've seen in other sports, like in in rugby league. Um, they have something called uh, Magic Weekend, which is basically where all of the teams play uh, in the um, uh, in a venue, a town, or a city somewhere over the course of a weekend, and it's a, a big outing. <laughs> For everybody, so all of the fans just um, hop on a, a bus or, or, or train or what have you, and they go and explore a new town or city. Effectively, it's usually in a, in a football ground, um, and it becomes a, a grand day out. It's a grand occasion for a lot of, of uh, fans who maybe they don't get the opportunity to otherwise travel to. Um, so I, I sort of see a little similarity with that because it, it's a it's a good excuse to catch some sun early in the summer <laughs> um, as well and, and then just enjoy that, that kind of atmosphere. Um, but it also reminds me a little bit of um, when MLB used to um, play some early games in the season, for example, in, in Tokyo, in, in Japan. Um, there's There's obviously an established... A very long established uh, history of, of baseball in Japan, but it's drawing in those crowds to come and watch those games. And it's an exhibition for the people 
um, who live there already. So I I love the idea. I think it's I think it's um, great to see on the calendar. It's a bit of a sort of a gimmick, I suppose, but um, it, it's it's certainly something that um, is quite colourful um, and a nice way to start the season. It is, and I I think it will remain uh, as like I don't see any reason why not because it it provides a lot of positives in as long as as long as it stays like also positive in terms of finances it's uh it should be done and it should be created to be a a permanent thing like a permanent picture in the in the season and uh well personally i'm looking forward to the point that we reach in terms of like the COVID rate that we can actually see the one game at least or two games played in India. Mm. Well, that really would be something, um, uh, whether it's India, Bangladesh, something like that, because I know that they will really get on board um, with the game out there. Yeah, uh, I mean... The the game in India was in was so far planned that it, it before the pandemic and I think it was one or two years before that that it it got cancelled like three months before it was supposed to be played. So there was a there was a plan that was quite far. So and uh it would have been it would have been something because i'm 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 absolutely sure that they would have built a stadium in the, and they they would be like dumbstruck that what what is this well <laughs> well uh, you know the um the plans may have been shelved for now but uh, in I, I know f- uh, from from what I read and what I see and the people that um, that we reach out to um, that the game is just getting stronger and stronger in India and Bangladesh Nepal uh, all of these places so when we do manage to see uh, some super basis games out there the fans will be even more on board than they would have been beforehand well I think that'll do it for this half of the um, show. Um, join us after the break and we'll be looking at previews for the next group from our um, group of teams, the Group B from this year's Harley SM, which is Vimpoli, Koskan Korva and Sainioki. Okay, um, welcome back. Um, we're talking previews. We'll talk first of all about um, Vimpoli. Now, it's it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to mention Vimpoli without mentioning with it the fact that they lost their golden boy, Bertoruska, to to Mansa. And of course, we we covered that in the last podcast when we looked at Mansa. Um, Mansa don't need Bertoruska, but I think Vimpoli really needed Bertoruska. Uh, do you agree with that uh, sentiment, Nico? Yeah, I think it. Well, in a, any team would need Bertoruska if the, that's the starting point. But when we, what, what I'm thinking of more about is the the impact that and the signal that it sends that now there's like a new pecking order a new kind of a pecking order and uh, now that the bigger cities are coming uh, and they are a force to be reckoned with uh, Vimbali will remain 
really strong and are one of the candidates to go who knows how far even this season but but it's also a fact that uh now now the bigger cities can come up with a package that the the players can uh, go they can go to university or have a job there and train and play all in all inside one one city instead of studying somewhere traveling somewhere so on but when we take a look at the team and the dynamics there uh the demo demo as a pitcher he has a lot of potential and uh, even unused potential and it will be super interesting to see how he fares as a pitcher and in that place you you can be sure that he you you will be under like uh how, how should i say it your every move will be watched inside the game and out of it so uh but i i think he has he he can surprise a lot of people and of course uh, signing yukape kabaniopa is uh is something that has been like it's just been a move that has been on the cards for years because now he has won like the basically he has he has won the things that he individually can but as as a member of a team he doesn't have any achievements in his adult life basically so now it was the time he's not he's like in his 30s which is nothing for a better but still going to a team where he has like uh, for example runners of this caliber uh, that's something that is also in a thrilling idea being by supporters well we know that um Vimpley has um uh, a very strong lineup generally and and you know uh, signing like uh, vinyl pies exactly um what they need to help fill the gap the Pertoruska um leaves in terms of batting but it almost seems like they've had to sign two players <laughs> to fill the gap of of one in a way in a way yeah but we also need to remember two things uh well or actually three but well first of all they brought in a new generation of players like two years ago which back then i thought was too fast that they were thrown into the deep end like and i was thinking that how would they fare they're still maybe too fresh but they 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 held their own weight and they they actually managed to do quite well and after that uh we have seen also that when we when we talk about sotkamo we talk about like uh the sustainability and the, like uh developing young players but in in Vimpeli, that's also that's super strong and uh, kare klemola as a coach uh, who is uh, out of every uh like uh you, you don't you don't hear his name anywhere uh when when they play in superpesis but he's one of the main uh figures in the whole system main 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 clocks that makes the whole uh system work and uh as a result and this is going to be super important just like last year i think that when you when you uh put all the championship candidates and i i count that there are five of them uh when we take their lineups uh up to 12 
And if if we want to take into account, for example, the Holly SM and the indoor games from this winter, Vimpeli may seem to be the team number five. Like that they they have the individual skill, but do they have like uh, do they have to to what extent? That's like the the question especially after Ruska left. But when we take a look at the players from 12 to, say, 16, 17, their level doesn't drop off basically at all. It, or if it does, it's significantly less than any other team. So that's something that, uh, okay, we've been talking about these things over and over, but uh, you will have injuries with this grueling schedule. Right now we are in a situation that if, if there's one thing for sure is that we will, pay, we will play a points per average regular season because in comparison to the uh, COVID numbers of from one year ago, now we have over 10 times more confirmed COVID cases all the time. So it, it, it it's a sure thing that you will need these players 15, 16, 17. And Bimpeli is one of the only teams that even has them. To uh, I mean, if we're talking about super basis level, so so that can be that that can actually be a, one of the more deciding factors when we reach the like the later part of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see. Oh, uh, definitely. I'm. I'm interested to see how they perform in the year. I I think it's unfortunate that they didn't have as many indoor games as they would have liked. Um, they obviously had uh, the Koskan Korve game cancelled due to COVID. And because they'd lost to Senioki, they couldn't go any further. But it's it's going to be interesting to see how they, uh, how they unfold in the season. I agree entirely. I think they're in the top five I'm struggling to know exactly where to <laughs> to place them in that top five um, for the same reasons that, that you say um, but one similarity I think with all three of these teams in, in this, this group that we're looking at is that they're all trying to come to terms with having lost a key player or a star player in the last year or two. Um, Koskan Korva, of course, um, lost uh, Patrick Valston uh, to Jonsu, um the other year. They're a year ahead, uh, perhaps in that transition. Um, so when we look at Koskan Korva now, um, they made a couple of uh, signings in the in the postseason. The, the most obvious one was um, Dormos Torhisari from Mansa. So he's he's coming as a champion to a team who's realistically fighting off rele- uh, relegation yet again. Um, but they look to me as though they might have a little bit more fight still left in them uh, again this year. What do you think about Koska and Korva, Miko? They are one of the biggest unknowns uh, for this season because I, I think that the the moves that they have made in in like rebuilding their their team and renewing the core of the team and loading stacking up with uh, young players who have taken significant leaps, uh, for example, last year, 
it, it at some point it turned it looked like to be uh, like a, a really good move and uh and the only possible move but but the the worrying fact is that uh it seems that or it seemed last year at least at the, in the earlier stages of the season that the spark once again i'm talking about the community but if we take a look at the numbers of people in the stands it was embarrassing to be honest and that the spark that used to be there i mean i it was like now we're talking 10 15 years ago but when there were like at least uh, in in contention to be like uh championship candidates uh the whole the whole village was living and breathing through the that club and now they are trying to bring that like with the with the fresh approach they are trying to build something new uh but okay Tohisari is one of their own so to say and now he comes back he brings a lot of uh experience he still has a, a big role to play in the team and he will get a lot of responsibility obviously and he's one of the leaders in the team uh, we know now that uh they they won't be starting the season with their like uh, the starting pitcher due to an injury and uh, that's one thing that may change before the start of the season that will there be some kind of a loan agreement or something like that or, or so because I don't see them <laughs> going to a regular season with the same setup that they used in the in Holly SM. But uh, it's a to, to be honest, it's a big unknown because they they can take leaps forward and some individual players may once again come to like rescue their season but it's also a fact that they still make way too much unforced errors to be uh, in contention with uh, like for a playoff spot well it's it's going to be a, another one of these um roller coaster seasons for them um if they can regain that spark if they can re-engage the community and, and string the results together then they can do well I, I agree with you I don't think they're post-season ready yet and I, I can't see them making the top eight but the other side of the coin is that if things don't quite go to plan if they can't re-engage the community it it might not just be relegation on the line. Um, they could be really struggling for for some years to come. Yes, yes, that's that's the hard reality, and uh, that's that, that that's the way it goes. That every every sports club every team every organization has to look in the mirror every year and think think about that why do we exist why what's the purpose and what are we aiming for and and it all needs to be in line the team the the core values the the support from the community that is also like you you bring something to the people that makes you interesting enough for them to come to watch the team so the team has to be good enough and you have to be 
visible and present in the in the community otherwise too and so it has to it has to go both ways but if the if the surrounding community loses its spark if you lose the people who have been putting in their heart in like creating that the club and creating that pulse into what you do uh, then after that you're pretty much done with it's like that's how it goes the final team of course in in the group um again seem to be struggling with um from my my point of view they, they're struggling with their identity um you know who are Sanioki, you know what do they stand for um because you know we know that uh, obviously some years back they there was a merger effectively between uh, two local clubs um but i still don't understand their their brand <laughs> using perhaps an american term their brand i don't understand their values i don't understand what direction the club's trying to to take and we know um that this has sort of had a bit of an impact on both the way that the players have played, how they felt in the clubhouse, or how the fans have felt in in the stands. And at the end of the um, season last year, it was it was up in the air as to whether or not they'd be able to um, finance um, this season uh, yet again. So. Um, very uncertain times for Sanioki, and it didn't help the fact that not only they lost um, Henry Puputi at the end of the year, um, but they've now lost uh, Yukapeka Banyompa as well, who, as you say, in, as an individual, has has been topping the statistics categories uh, in, in terms of his uh, his batting. With that massive hole to fill. I'm struggling to see what Sanayoki can do or have been able to do um, to replace him. Um, they haven't really made any signings over the, the, the off-season. It's survival mode, I think, a little bit in, in Sanayoki. But I don't picture them being in a relegation fight, but I certainly can't see them being a serious threat um, and making it into the postseason either. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Miko? Well, I would I would echo a lot of that, but <clears throat> but for me, uh, I think that the brand is okay. This is this is another good example, and I think that brand is a good word to use here because they tried to bring back the atmosphere that Senayoki has been the hub of Pesapallo in Pohjanma, which is like one of the biggest hubs in, if not the biggest hub of Pesapallo in to begin with. Uh, so there's there are clubs here and there in every village playing and on some level of the three highest levels and uh so, but Senayoki has been one of the biggest ones if not the biggest one there and uh the merger was like uh they they tried to get local business people and uh, uh all-star caliber game managers and players like Puputi and stuff like that to to bring back the golden days to Senayoki and it all went to bust. And uh, but but now when I look at the team, I actually see a lot of promise there. Even even though they used, I mean, even though they lost uh, Elmer Lieto, who has already proven that he will be a, a key player in in the Joensuu team. Uh, 
even though he's like 20 now, but, but still. Uh, he would have been hugely important in that team, but uh, but there are some play some young players that are coming through their really strong youth organization. That I can see, I can see some really promising young guys coming up. They may have to take responsibility earlier than they should be forced to but uh but it's still it's another big unknown because uh, in i mean in all they they have been a kind of a low profile team uh, in the last couple of years but they have for example their coaching and their game manager the team has done a really good job everybody agrees on that and it's a very well coached and managed team so i don't see well postseason is written off that's like for me that's a given i mean that that would be something i i mean but let's not go there uh also, if we're talking about uh, avoiding the relegation and uh, avoiding the games that may take you to a relegation dogfight, is that that's something that is an actual threat also because of the structure of the team. It, it's like... Uh, on their on their day they may they may beat some uh even some good teams i mean uh but uh i i don't see them being consistent and uh and i think that the the young players will have to mature a lot over the season well, three teams in that group, all with some big question marks around them, some you know, perhaps less of an issue than others, I suppose. Um, but it will be it be interesting to see which of those teams match or better our expectations um, during the coming season. Yeah, I was just uh, as be- before we sign off, I was thinking about saying a couple of like a couple of words about Vimpeli because I, I think it's the most important in terms of the whole like if we take a look at the big picture this season and uh, I I mean I I hear a lot of talk here and there the they have been struggling this like uh, off season and uh, in their Holly SM games and indoor games and uh, that and that the, and that the structure of the game has not looked good at all when they have been able to play, but um, but as a as a personal opinion. Uh, what it tells to us is absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. It has absolutely no relevance to what is coming coming up. I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're going to win the regular season, but but I'm just saying that this is we're, we're living. We're living in times in who knows what's gonna happen in one month so so let's let's just for, forget about what happened the off season and uh see what happens when the actual season yeah. starts well we, we we saw a lot of negativity um around Vimpley ahead of the 2020 season and nobody had a, a highly sm <laughs> then um and you know 
Puerto Ruska taking on the role as pitcher um, for the first time. He didn't have the opportunity for those um, those training games. Well, of course, uh, Temokinen has, um, having been pitcher for um, uh, Sipe for uh, the last few years. So, yeah, it's it's one of these ones where you'll have to wait and see, but you underestimate Vimpley at your peril. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And uh, I, I do think that they, they will have no problem in finding their balance. And uh, but it's but it's also good to good to be able to say that a team of that caliber can finish anywhere between one and seven in the regular season, for example. And that's a sentence that you have not been able to say in a in a long, long time, to be honest. Yeah. Well, in this unpredictable world, this season is probably going to be even more unpredictable. Um, but there we have it. So that'll just about do it for um, this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much uh, for listening. If you like what you've heard, then please like, subscribe. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter or on Facebook. And you'll occasionally uh, see me writing from time to time uh, on the blog. That's uh, superpessisroundup.wordpress.com. And you'll also see me writing for the Portolina website and occasionally on Hamina's website for some articles in English. So I just want to thank my uh, co-host, uh, Mikkel Pjörhönen. Thanks, it was a pleasure, as always. And myself, me, uh, Ian Halber. Um, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Something that's hidden far away